This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg. For today's episode, I'm going to cover the most interesting cars from every summer auction. Now, from summer auction, I'm really talking about just July because there are some coming up in August, but a lot of the stats and details of the particular cars have not been posted. Ironically, there's even some cars that are being sold in a couple weeks that we still don't have information on. Uh, But I'm gonna review all the major auction houses, a couple from each. Um, I think one of the auction houses, I only have like two, because they weren't really that interesting. So what qualifies as interesting in my book? So this would be a car that is unique in some way, that could be from the option packages, that are on the car to the rarity of the car, uh, if it's historical or it speaks to the changing market trends. As I mentioned many times before, we're seeing a lot of generational trends right now. As the baby boomers age up, they are selling their cars. So we have more of the 40s and 50s cars on the market, and that's at the exact same time that the next generation, they don't necessarily want the 40s and 50s cars because they didn't dream about those cars when they were growing up. So the shift is more into the 70s and 80s, 90s, and even 2000s, which is pretty amazing to watch. So if you have a car from the 40s and 50s and you want to get rid of it in the next five years, don't expect the prices to go up. That would be my recommendation. Of course, there's one-off offs all over the place. You know, If the car is truly special, I don't think it'll ever lose any type of significant value. So the first one we're going to review is Barrett-Jackson online-only July auction. The first car is a 1995 Ford Mustang Cobra SVT. So I never really cared for these uh, in particular, but these are pretty cool. Uh, This is back when they were still trying to find their way in the Mustang world. The Fox bodies were over. Those were boxy. I actually like the Fox bodies more than I do the SN95 Mustangs. And I was at the grand unveiling of the 1994 new Mustang in Marietta at a Marriott, Marietta, Georgia, back in 1994. And I just thought they were okay. But this one's pretty cool. It's a SVT Cobra, which is somewhat rare. And I believe this one only has like 690 horsepower. I'm sorry, 619 miles on it. So it looks like there was only 760 built in 1995. I'm sorry, only 108 actual miles. So this one was bought and pretty much put into storage still in the wrapper as they mentioned uh, in the description here so these are starting to appreciate a little bit not a ton so this one will be interesting to see what happens the next one is a 1967 chevrolet corvette 427 big block convertible with a 425 horsepower engine this one's really nice this is actually my favorite year of corvette this one's bloomington gold certified matching numbers engine It's Goodwood Green Metallic, and I believe it even has a green interior and a green top. So that's what kind of set it off for me, was the triple green. You don't see that quite often in any type of car. So that's a really cool one. And then the next one is a 1967 Chevrolet Camaro Fisher Body number 1. This is a really early VIN, VIN number 16. It is, let's see, Fisher Body number 1. And it was made in 1967 in Los Angeles. So it wasn't part of the pilot car line, but it was uh, shortly thereafterwards. So that's cool to see one so early, such an early production date Camaro. It's the 327 cubic inch engine, 275 horsepower, paired with a two-speed automatic. So hard to believe there were two-speed automatics back in the day. It's white with red interior. 
Actually, it's a pretty plain Jane car, but it's neat because of the, the VIN. The next one, and this is actually the one that's on my, is on the cover art for this episode. You might have seen the cover art, art and wondered, why is that on there? Well, this is why. It's a 1983 Toyota SR5 pickup truck. So like I said before, cars and trucks from the 70s, 80s, 90s are appreciated in value, and this is a great example of one of those. Now, if you see one of these near you, that is low mile example, a low mile example in nice clean condition, buy it now because they're only going to go up. This just has a little 2.4 liter four-cylinder engine with a five-speed manual gearbox, and it was kind of cool. I think it was white with kind of the brown 80s racing stripes. So uh, I know a couple of the Toyota 4Runners from the 80s have gone for astronomical money. One recently sold for over $25,000, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you think about a 1983 Toyota with over 200,000 miles selling for $25,000, that is just plain old insane. All right, next we'll move to RM Sotheby's. I'm actually pulling this information from two different auctions they have, two different online auctions. One of them is Open Roads for North America, and the other one is for the European version of that auction. So online only. For the North America one, we have a 1972 Alfa Romeo Montreal. Those are really cool. They're starting to appreciate. Jay Lono did a video, I want to say within the last year. So this is a V8 coupe, cool-looking Alfa Romeo, and uh, the estimate on this one is sixty-five to eighty-five thousand dollars. They're really starting to appreciate. Forever, you could get those for thirty to forty grand. And the next one, which is one of my favorite cars of all time, a 1953 Buick Skylark convertible. Uh, they only made convertibles for the Skylark, I think, with one exception in 1953. And the estimate on this one is seventy-five to one hundred thousand dollars. It's a beautiful red, red interior, I believe, white top. Just gorgeous cars from the 1950s. And these forever, if it was a number one car forever these were a hundred to one hundred and thirty thousand dollars the estimate on this one is seventy five to one hundred thousand like all 1950s cars for the most part they've declined and kind of flattened out i don't know that they'll go back up but this looks like a really nice example and the third one from the sale is a 2012 mercedes-benz sls amg so this is the modern interpretation of the mercedes gullwing cars from the 1950s the estimate on this one is 145 to 165 and these are just really cool cars. I never cared for them initially. I mean, obviously, I love the Gullwings. I think that is so cool, and the engine and the interior, all of that is an amazing package. I just thought the front hood and the entire front part of the car was kind of long and snouty looking, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I don't think that's a word. But you're talking sub 0 to 60 in under 3.5 seconds in a car that weighs almost... 3,800 pounds. Uh, this particular one was a really cool color. I'm going to say this not correctly. All beam paint silver. It's a silver metallic. It's a $12,000 option. Had carbon fiber mirrors and exterior trim. Let's see. So it had $24,000 worth of options and it has 46,000 miles. So I recently saw one that was a black series version. And it had like 3,000 miles on it. Uh, extremely cool, cool and rare version of this car. So these are starting to appreciate, even though they're less than 10 years old. Now, I, I did pick out two, just to mention, two Ferraris from the European sale. One of them is a 1966 Ferrari 275 GTB. That's a high-dollar car. Typically, those are 2 to $3 million. So I, I want to keep an eye on that one. 
to see how it does. I don't have my Euro translator here with me or calculator here, but they're calling it 1.7 to 1.9 euros. And then the 1970 Ferrara 365 GTB4 Daytona. So typically it's just called the Ferrari Daytona. This is going to be really interesting. They're calling it 400 to 500 euros. These for quite a while and you know, around 2015, they peaked in the seven to $800,000. And I do want to do an episode on just one of these cars. There was a yellow one that actually went to 13 different auctions before it sold. And I want to see if it compares to the overall market trends for Ferrari Daytonas. So as a brief recap, I think all the auctions except for the last one were at Mecham. And it went something crazy like the very first sale uh, got bidded up to $800,000. It didn't hit the reserve, so they took it home. It went to the next Mecham auction. It went up to $850,000. A no sale. They took it, took it back. And it kept on going to different Mecham auctions. And... After the 850, it just kept on going down. Like the next one was 780, no sale. Then it was 750, no sale. Then it was 700, no sale. And it finally sold, I want to say, at $500,000. So in a, like a year and a half or two years, it went from you could have had $850,000 in your pocket, but because you chose to write it out, and unfortunately the market was declining at that time, you walked home with $500,000. So you took a $300,000 haircut on a car that went to 13 different auctions trying to get top dollar for it. That would be a rough lesson for anyone to learn. Now the next one I'm going to review is Mecham. So Mecham, I will be there this Saturday at Mecham Indy. So if you're going to be there, shoot me a note. They have this live online now. So what's interesting is the their auctions are staying live but they're adding an online aspect to it so you can start bidding on the cars early, which to me is really smart. I mean, they just want to get that number, you know, run up as much as they can before the live bidding starts so instead of starting at seven grand, maybe starting at 35 grand on a $50,000 car. So that's really smart. And what's interesting is they're planning on having a Monterey California auction live. And I, that's the only one I think that has remained live and in person. So I will cover that hopefully in the next podcast or one of the ones coming up here soon. So I'm a Mustang guy. I'm a Shelby guy. And there is quite the collection in Indianapolis over the next week or so. All from the same collector. Unfortunately, he got sick, and so he's trying to liquidate his collection. Actually, except for one car. So the first one's a 1965 Shelby GT350R prototype. Now this one, they say call for estimates. So any of the GT... I'm sorry, any of the GT350Rs, there's 36 of them. Typically, they trade for 650 to maybe a million dollars on the high side. Uh, they haven't gotten the respect I think other light cars have gotten, such as like the Corvette L88s that are typically two to three million dollars or more. And this is the prototype. So, this is the very first one. It was Ken Miles' car. If you don't know who he is, go see the Ford versus Ferrari movie. It was called the Flying Mustang because there's an iconic picture of this car with all four wheels up off the ground, either during a race or during testing. It's the very first Shelby R model ever built. The first Shelby Mustang to win a race. The most, this is reading directly from the description here, the most historically significant Shelby Mustang in the world. I, I do not disagree with that. Uh, let's see, it's a factory team car, engineering test mule, driven by all the big names. 
more than 10 first place finishes in B production during the 65 season. Basically, this car and its racing history and all the R models that followed it are the reason we still have a Mustang today. So it's really important, amazing car. What's interesting, and I don't remember the exact reason why, it's wearing the wrong number. And I want to say Rick Kopech, who founded the Shelby Club of America, SAAC, I believe, he got the car and he didn't want to run the same number as Ken Miles did. He wanted to show respect, so he added a digit to it or something crazy like that. I did reach out to Rick to see if he wanted to review these cars, but I, unfortunately I never heard back. If I can get a hold of him, I would love to have him on the podcast. Let's see, what else about this car? So, let's see. Frank Meekham was recently on Adam Carolla's car podcast, which I can't remember the name off the top of my head. And he speculated it would bring somewhere between 2.2 million and 4 million. Now, the reason he picked out those numbers is 2.2 approximately was what the 1967 Shelby GT500 Super Snake sold for. And that was a one-off car that it's the only Mustang or Shelby Shelby Mustang ever produced with a 427 engine in it. It was a one-off test car, so they could test Goodyear rubber at high speeds. That one sold for over $2 million. And then the other quote of around $4 million is because the Bullet Mustang sold for 3.7, 3.74, something like that. So his thought is, is this going to fall somewhere in between there? I agree. I mean, it should because this is the most iconic Shelby Mustang ever. It's the first year, all the stuff I just talked about. But no Shelby GT350Rs ever sold over a million. So will this sell for over twice that because of the awareness of the movie and everything else? I don't know. I really hope it sells for 3.5. Honestly, it deserves to sell more than the Bullet Mustang, but I don't know that it will. Uh, so I hope it does, but I would not be shocked to see if it doesn't sell for more than 1.5. I don't know. That's a tough one. Now, the next one, this one is not out of the collection I mentioned earlier. This is one that actually belongs to Dana Meekum. It's a 1965 Ford GT competition prototype Roadster. Now, the estimate on this one is $7.5 to $10 million. And if you if you comp out Ford GT40s, this is a really realistic price because Ford GT40s are selling for, you know, 6 to $12 million. Well, this one's one of... Five Roadsters, which I don't think it looks better. I actually think thinks it. I think it looks worse. But it's only one of two surviving today, and it has race history. But the race history it has, it only ran eleven laps before it died, <laughs> so that's not that great. Um, but again, it's one of two surviving, one of five Roadsters ever built. So realistically, it should go for over ten million dollars. I think the asterisk to this note is that it was bought by Dean Jeffries, who's an iconic hot rodder. He bought it in 1968. And he kept it until 2013. And apparently when it was purchased, it was in parts, like in boxes. So apparently everything was there, but you know, it was, it was maybe worse than a basket case. I don't know. In that it was pretty much disassembled in boxes and had been sitting in his shop for 35 years or so. So uh, we will see. Apparently, the guesstimation was that Dana probably bought it for about two and a half to three million dollars back in 2013. So, you know, if you bought it for three million dollars and you spent 500 grand restoring it, you're up to 3.5 and you want to sell for 7.5 to 10, you know, that's a really good turn on investment after just a handful of years. 
Okay, so the next one's a 1966 Shelby GT350 convertible. This one is my dream car. People often ask me, what is your dream car? And I have to really kind of him and haul because I don't know. It depends on the parameters. Like, do I have room in my garage? Do I have to pay for the insurance? How much is the car? And all that kind of stuff. But this one really is because I love Mustangs. I love the convertible. I love Shelbys. This is one of four 66 Shelby GT350 convertibles ever built. Now, let's see. They only did it for 66. Carol Shelby built it apparently for like personal friends. There was a red one that came up to auction, I want to say two years ago. And I think it was either a sale or a no sale at $760,000. There's a yellow one I saw down in the Pensacola, Florida area back in the early 90s. And this green one with gold stripes, which I don't care for the gold stripes. And then there is also a blue one, which I don't think I've ever seen in a magazine or referenced anywhere. So if you know of the location of any, the yellow one or the blue one, or even the red one today, because I don't know where that went to, please shoot me a note and let me know. So this is the only one that was built with a air conditioning. It's an automatic, which isn't great. It has this original engine, apparently the only one that still has this original engine. And let's see. It served as served duty as a pace car for SCCA Racing in the Bay Area. Known ownership from new. Featured in Mustang Monthly in 1982, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, this would be my dream car. Uh, if it had a stick shift, that would be even cooler. Anyways, so they have this estimate, which I think is really high. Estimate of 1.3 to 1.7. So if the last one sold for 760, that was red with black interior, was a four-speed with AC. With you know, To me, it was better aesthetically uh are they expect this one to more than double that which is really interesting to see how that one would do all right the next one's a 1964 shelby 289 independent competition cobra estimate 1.25 million to 1.5 million Uh, let's see one of the extremely few competition cobras to retain its original body uh just a beautiful example has uh, some road racing history with it uh, throughout the late 60s Uh, so just a really cool car all right, moving on. Let's see. The last, oh, two more for Mecham. A 1971 Plymouth Cuda convertible. So this one I called out because Phil out of Florida sent me a note asking me if I thought this would actually bring $700,000. The estimate is five hundred dollars to $700,000. This is one of 17 V-code convertibles in 1971 with the 440 six-barrel, not the 426. Uh, so this one's interesting because it is... It says original body panels, but if you look at the picture, there's a lot of surface rust. Looks like it's been sitting in the young, in the sun for years. It says it was locked away in storage container for 35 years. So it's been cosmetically unrestored, and I guess we'll have to see how this one does. I bet that's a little strong. Uh, of all the cars that have suffered, especially when you look at the Haggerty uh, Valuation Index, the Mopars, especially the Hemis and the Kudas, have really suffered from a valuation market standpoint. Now, granted, there's less of them out there. So if one or two doesn't sell well at an auction, it's going to influence the overall price or overall valuation of those particular cars. So it'll be interesting to see how this one shakes out. And the last one is a 19, for Mecham, is a 1966 Chevrolet Corvette L88 convertible. The number on this is $1.6 to $2 million. Uh, the first L88 Corvette, the only tuxedo black L88 convertible built extensive race history placed second at the 1970s i'm sorry 1967 daytona beach scca runoff 
Bloomington Gold certified in 1984, which is way back when. Uh, so a really cool car. And one thing I will say um, about this car is I actually stumbled across a L88 half block in its original packaging, which is pretty cool. So hopefully you'll see that come out um, somewhere in the future. It's not something that's for sale, uh, but it's pretty cool. Now, the last one I'll cover, there wasn't a lot of cars involved here, but it's Leaks Live Virtual. It's actually live right now, 60 cars, and it closes on 713. This one was a little confusing because if you go to their website, it says things are live now, and then it would also say like auction, on-site auction, and there was multiple locations around the country, so I wasn't quite sure. Does that mean they have an office where you can go and see the car and it's open to, to bidding right now? Like I didn't totally understand what they were saying on their website. I found two cars that kind of st stuck out a little bit. One of them, if I had to have any car in that entire auction of those 60 cars, the one I would pick is the 1958 Chrysler 300D convertible. This has a 392 firepower Hemi V8 with 380 horsepower back in 1958. That does not even seem possible. Power steering, power brakes, power windows, and power seats. And it was an Aztec turquoise with tan leather interior. So uh, it was rare, only 191 produced in 1958. And it has some cool colors, some cool options, and it's a big boat. And the last one, which you can't actually drive on the street, is a 2011 Dodge Factory Drag, sorry, Dodge Challenger Factory Drag Pack. pack and this has the Viper V10 engine, which I didn't realize those Drag Pack cars came with the Viper engine. I just thought it was like the Hellcat engine or the Demon engine. I didn't realize they upgraded to the V10. So two-speed automatic drag racing transmission, leather interior, which you all need in your drag cars, with an eight-point roll bar and racing harness. So that's pretty cool. Not street legal. Sold on bill of sale only. So that is it. So next week, if the data shows up, I will review a bunch of cars for the August auctions to kind of finish up uh, this little series here. If not, I'll have some other type of surprise for you that I am working on right now. So keep your tires on the road and your, <laughs> your head pointed forward. I don't know what I'm saying. So y'all have a great day. I'll talk to y'all next week. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.